welcome to Conversations About Life. Well, welcome, Grace, to this conversation about life. So I guess basically that means we can just talk about whatever we want to talk about. (laughs) How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Um, So I I know a little bit about you. Your dad was on the podcast just a a few weeks ago, Mike Woodward. And um, you're a, a brand new teacher, right? I am. First year. Yeah, so um, yeah, you were just telling me that it's all virtual right now, but your school is starting to incorporate like live school now, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, we are starting back with our reentry plan on the twenty sixth. Okay, and you're teaching uh, first graders. Mm-hmm. Okay, and what? Um, so, what's your tr- what's the training been like to become a teacher? I'm sure, you know, you go to college, you get your degree, but is there any kind of, um, uh, like, uh, have you worked as an assistant teacher or anything like that in in preparations for this? No, but um, I did have my student teaching. Um, It got cut because of the lockdown. And so I had about um, 10 weeks where I was in the classroom, and then that was it. Okay. 10 weeks as, like, a student teacher? Mm Mm-hmm. And only about two of those were actually being in charge, so a lot of it was observations and just doing a few lessons at a time. So it wasn't the complete control. So did you enjoy it? Um, (laughs) My student teaching experience was different than many others. I enjoyed parts of it, and there's other parts that I learned a lot from. Okay. Well, what um, got you into teaching? What... um you know, led you to this career path? Um, I actually never thought that I would be a teacher. I wanted to do engineering like my brother. I wanted to go to the same school as my dad. Um, but then I got to college, and I ended up choosing to... I want, I, choose, I chose nursing when I first came into college. And I got through my first semester, and I failed the class. And I was just like, I cannot do this anymore. I'm just going to choose teaching. It just seems like something that can work out. Um, and then a few months later, I actually became a Christian. And then that summer, it just became, as I was studying the scripture, it just felt right. Like it felt um, like the right path for me. And it just kept getting reaffirmed throughout that, that season. So you became a Christian after you were in college then, huh? I did. Okay. So before that, did you already consider yourself a Christian or think of yourself as a Christian? Probably my entire childhood I did, um, and then getting through my teen years, um, not so much. I had a lot of doubts and questions, and I, a lot of just a lot of confusion. Okay. And then were you um, searching, during, like wanting to become a Christian, searching for that? Or um, how, what happened? What led you up to that point? Well, when I got to college, I was really searching. I was really eager to... Um, to become a, like to become a, either a stronger believer if I was one or if I just to um, to build that faith and I chose a Baptist University which had a lot of components that 
I thought would help me. Um, and so I just kind of kept trying. It was like a lot of like effort and trying and I kept failing at like, like just everything. And so I just felt like there's no way like I could, like God could love me or any of those kind of things. And so it got to second semester and I was hired by um, my athletic department as a student worker. And um, Dr. Tom Smith, he is amazing, um, wonderful man who hired me. Um, but during my interview process, because it is a Christian university, they ask you, like, what is your what is your testimony? What is the gospel? All these, like, core questions. And I answered, and I presented myself in a way that was not accurate. And then a week later, as an athlete as well, I was caught drinking. And I was pulled into his office, and he's like, he told me, he's like, you lied to me. You told me that you were this way, and you weren't. And then these two women who had also been a part of my hiring process, who were had already started to pour into me, they sat there and they were like, you, 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 you lied to us. This is, um, it was just a very heartbreaking situation. I bawled and I said, I want, I want to be saved. Like I want to be a Christian. I just don't know how. Um, they ended up leading me through that process. Um, those two women ended up mentoring me the rest of my freshman year and into the, the next three years as well. Um, and then that Dr. Tom Smith, he also as well, um, he ended up, he fired me and then hired me a few days later back. And I worked for him for the next couple of years. And that was a huge part of my faith journey. Okay. So you, you were mentioning like failures and not feeling like God could love you. Like what kind of failures are you talking about? Moral failures or academic failures or what? Oh, so many of both. Okay. So many of both. Okay. And, and then... Um, so, um, and then, you know, they led you um, into becoming a Christian, and then what, what, um, what did you experience in that, like, um, any, what was that experience like for you, for becoming a Christian, any changes in you, or just... Oh, so, oh, so many. Um, it was just a, it was peace. It was just the confidence that um, I didn't have to try so hard anymore, and it wasn't about me, and it was about that relationship with Christ. And so I definitely still struggled for the months afterward. I struggled with mental health as well. Um, and it probably wasn't until the summer that I felt like I was actually like growing as a Christian and walking in, like walking in faith. And so it was a really crazy semester. I lost all of my friends, um, but I gained something a lot bigger. Hmm. Um. Like you're struggling with mental health, was was like anxiety and depression, or what were you refer, what were you referring to? Yeah, anxiety and depression. I had um, really bad depression in high school, as well as anxiety, and I kind of just pushed it under the rug. And it just, it definitely came out in college. I had a a former teammate pass away my freshman year, and that was also a big impact on that. And that was um, right after I became a believer as well. And so um, it was just a difficult time for me a very, a, just a season of loneliness, and um, I would say probably the worst time in my life, but. Hmm. So, um, before that, like your growing up years, um, were you, um, what, d would you have been, would people have thought of you as like a rebellious um, bad kid or did you look pretty good you know and so forth 
No, I was the perfect kid. Okay. <laughs> good grades, um, good attitude all the time, listened to my parents, mm-hmm. everything, up until probably like 16, 17, and that's when I got a little bit more rebellious. Okay. And, and then um, you probably heard, like, you know, the Christian message at church and stuff growing up. So um, what... Um, you know what didn't click or for you or what um how was it different you know when they were you know giving it to you you know leading you to Christ in college it was definitely still the relationship versus the religion and so i because i was such a good child and i got praise for being a good child i mm-hmm. thought that that was what it was i thought it was being good not ever messing up mm-hmm. and that would be like in praying and reading your Bible. That's like that's basically the gist of what I thought that Christianity was. Um, and so when I got to college and I had the gospel presented to me and shared with me on a personal level, that one-on-one intentionality, um, where my the our athletic director he shared his testimony. He shared a picture of when he got baptized in college. Um, it was just something I don't know. It just was something that clicked. I don't think my heart was ready until that moment yeah I when I um, when God impacted my life and made me a new person I was 18 and it was like at a real low point in my life where I was really understanding that I was a sinner and when I was younger as a kid I was around nine I was wanting to be saved I wanted to have what other people talked about and I wanted to know I was going to heaven and all of that um, and I would do I did the things I thought that I needed to do I got baptized I would read the tracks and pray the prayer at the end and try to th- thinking if I just um, have enough belief or something then boom you know Shazam something would happen but it wasn't until I was reaching a, a at 18 like a real low um, like feeling like I was just morally disgusting, you know, mm-hmm. and so I, um, I, I wonder if that, like that's how it is for a lot of people. They have to understand what they need to be saved from before they can. Mm-hmm. It makes sense to them, perhaps. But, well, that's really cool. So that was a few years ago, and. Um, and then how old are you? I know you're a young woman. Uh, I am 22 years old. 22. Mm-hmm. And just um, thinking about talking with you, um, I, on my mind just here recently, lately, I've been thinking about just our cultural climate with um, the, you know, kind of the angry divisions and everything like that. And wondering, you know, what that is like, you know, how does a young person perceive or think of her society and everything? Do you have any thoughts about that? Do you keep up with stuff? Do you just have any thoughts about how you see our culture? Oh, my goodness. So many thoughts. (laughs) I do. I do try to keep up. I think it's really important to be informed. Um, I would say... What I'm noticing a lot is a lot of argue arguments. And I actually read that in my devotion today um, before I came. I had some moments of like stillness and is talking about how 
there's really no point in arguments. There, there really isn't. There's a there's points in debates, and so I think that that is one of the issues that is happening is that people are arguing and trying to get their point, the point to the other person, and it's just not happening because when you are coming at a person like that, they're not going to understand. They're going to defend their side as well, and so I think that, I mean including like the presidential debate as well, when it turns into arguments, I think that that's a model for our country to continue in that pattern of that division. And it's just heartbreaking to me because I think that it could be something different. So if there's two different opinions, what's the alternative to argument, would you think? Healthy discussions and debates. I think that that would be... That would be the alternative. Okay, healthy discussions and debates where it's more purposeful, like, um, yeah, and where there's kind of respect shown and things like that. Mm-hmm. Everything goes back to that respect. Mm-hmm. We teach our kids that, to respect other people because other people are humans and they have, just by being a human, you have, you have earned, you, have, you deserve respect. Mm-hmm. I don't know too much about it, but I was um, listening to someone, I forgot her name, Dr. Jill Temple or something like that, and she leads a college class, and they um, they discuss things like really controversial things, but they use they have a system that they use, and they set ground rules ahead of time, and it's a lot about um, – trying to understand the other person's point of view, you know, not just getting your own point of view across. And I, it's something I'm trying to read more about. Um, I think it's it's called, there's a name for it, reflexive dialogue or something along those lines. But it seems kind of interesting to me, um, just a way to, because I think that's something we don't have, like skills for how to engage with another person. Um, and we don't value um, just our own understanding because we don't have the humility to think we don't that we might not know it all, you mm-hmm. know. And there's another thing that um, I would here recently have just have thought about. Well, I heard this on a podcast too. Um, there's this lady. She grew up in France, and she um, didn't know of a single Christian, and she knew of Christians like in America, but. She didn't think there were any Christians in France. So she all she had was stereotypes, and then she becomes an exchange student, and she comes to America, and she has Christian, you know, a host family. And, um, well, since then, and she did eventually become a Christian. Um, but since then, she realizes um, that to um, know another group, you really have to kind of get into that group or talk to the people in the group rather than talking to people outside of the group about mm-hmm. them, you know. And a person who was on the podcast here recently, Brad Waz, he goes to um, a mosque, mosque and um, it's the one on Rivas Barracks, and they have um, a dinner monthly for the community. And I thought that was really cool because mm-hmm. he's finding out about them from them rather than just looking at them from an outsider. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of neat, you know, the, just the idea of wanting to understand rather than just get one's own viewpoint across, you know. That's amazing. Yeah. It's a good idea. 
Yeah, I think so too. I think it's neat. Um, well, well, now that you're um, a teacher, you're following um, this, you know Christian path and so forth. Are there any particular ways that you're wanting to grow that you'd like to yourself to be changed as you go along into the future? I continually pray that I be humbled because pride is a big a big struggle for me. So I just continually hope that I will continue to be humbled in my possession, profession as well as um, just the continual need for patience and understanding because it is it is challenging. Mm-hmm. But I I think that um, my job is hard. It is a really difficult job. Um, but and I, I feel defeated most days. Um, but it is exciting to see to know like just to know in that like hard, terrible, bad, no good days that I think I'm becoming a better person <laughs> and I'm hoping that I'm becoming a better Christian. Okay. So, what makes the days hard for you? Um, <laughs> the whole virtual aspect of education is mm. a challenge, especially for young children. Yeah. Um, luckily, there's a mute all button, but at the same time, you can't engage every single child virtually. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work. And so there's students that are just not grasping information, and it's not their fault. It's not anyone's fault, but it's frustrating to me mm-hmm. because... They're, they're, they're not going to be the same place when they come back, um, as well as um, turning in assignments. Um, it's up to the parents to turn in their assignments, in, and sometimes that is not the top priority, and that is, that's okay because it's not, it shouldn't be the top priority, um, but it is something that doesn't always happen as well. Uh, so I have no way to grade my students and assess them. And so it's just been, it's been a difficult process of trying to figure that out as well as preparing for reentry um, with very little information, with very little personal protection. And even that with my students that are at our virtual learning center, um, I, I do teach at school and I'm going to, I check on my kids um, that are there because those kids that are coming there, um, it's just good that they have that, that teacher connection, I, I think. Um, and so it's challenging even with that where they're not even in my classroom. I'm dealing with behavior issues that are happening there because um, if I see that happening, I'm not going to leave that to a teacher who doesn't know them very well. And so that's been a challenge as well of just trying to figure out how to do consequences virtually because mm-hmm. in the classroom you can take away recess, you can take away a privilege or like a class job, those kind of things. Um, but when we're virtual, the only thing you can do is call the parents. And that, I think, is unfortunate because parents should not have to hear every phone, like all these phone calls about how their child's misbehaving all the time. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that is good, but that's what we can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, something I was going to ask you about, because I just looked at your your Facebook timeline to kind of just learn a little bit more about your your thoughts and views. And this was a couple of weeks, so I don't remember everything really care, real, really closely. But um, So you had some things on there about racism, I believe. And that's kind of a... 
you know, a culture, you know, that's something that our society is struggling through right now. So do you have any thoughts about um, that topic? I do. Um, I think that um, our country was, I mean, it was built on racism. That was a big part of the beginning of it, and that breaks my heart. I love the Founding Fathers. I love Hamilton as well. Um, <laughs> but that was just a big part of what our nation was built on, was, um, was slavery was a big part of our culture. And it's continued. I mean, if you look at the timeline of how long slavery was, and then when Jim Crow laws were in effect, and then when the Civil Rights Movement finally happened, and how even since then... I mean, you can ask so many individuals if they've experienced racism, and they have. And that's devastating. And I, um, it just breaks my heart that, that people are still facing that today. Because until um, Ferguson in, I believe, 2014, um, with the death of Michael Brown, I didn't even know racism still existed. Um, and so since then, um, it's just been really a big burden on my heart. Um, that this is still in effect and just the inequality in the school systems in um, in our government in our um, I can't even think it's off my top of my head right now but that's been a really big impact on me and so um, I think that anytime that there um, it's like statistically anytime that there's a time of like a pandemic or something serious a lot of other issues will arise during that time because people have time to reflect, to think, um, and those kind of things. And so in the midst of like the COVID-19 pandemic um, with the, the deaths of George Floyd and Ahmaud Aubrey and Breonna Taylor, um, it is bringing light to these issues again. And I think it's great. I think it's, much, it's needed. It's um, a time for understanding to... Um, to be quiet and to listen and to hear people's stories and to understand and then to make change, whether that be peacefully protesting, petitioning um, your governors and um, your the people in authority and um, calling them, <laughs> all these kind of things, um, but also just listening. Um, I think it is very important during this time. Do you have any thoughts about solutions? Um for example, if there was some kind of structural racism in place, then, of course, dismantling that would be a thing. But I don't know if there is like that structural racism, like there has been in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, I think back in, um, I don't know, previous decades, there was um, a, you know, like people trying to keep black people out of their neighborhoods and stuff like that. And it was kind of built into the structure. And and that's led to some of the, you know, the divisions of the neighborhoods mm-hmm. where, you know, black neighborhood, white neighborhood. Um, but I don't think, like, that's illegal now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just, do you have any thoughts about, well, what, you know, are answers to... Um, any kind of any racism that's persisting, um, if this that structural racism is gone, which I think it is. Do you think it is? Or? I'm not sure yet. Okay. Do you have any thoughts about um, solutions or things that would improve um, 
the situation? I think um, specifically in St. Louis City, um, an evaluation of housing. I think that that would be an important thing um, because you can notice the differences in the neighborhoods. Like severely, it'll be you'll be on Grand Boulevard and you'll see one side and then the other side. And so I think that there needs to be an evaluation of that um, of the housing, and as well as the and making an affordable affordable housing in St. Louis, um, because that is a huge part of why um, those neighborhoods are also so still. I mean, if you look at it, you'll see, and it's not even just black and white. It is all different kinds of cultures and different types of people. Um, and it also goes back to sometimes people like to be like what they feel like they know the most about, they feel comfortable in. Um, and so that's part of it, but also just people dismantling their own biases um, and to go through and to evaluate um, those kind of things, to read, to educate themselves about the problems in our society, and then as well as school systems because there's um, so many school issues. With um, There's a documentary on Netflix called Teach Us All, um, and... That was a huge part of, I mean, that's why charter schools exist is because of not good ho- not good school choices, um, because of those schools. Like it'll be a school in a neighborhood that is predominantly black, and a school in a white neighborhood, and the school in the white neighborhood is funded, is more funded, um, has better staff, and has more support, and so as opposed to the the school that is in a black neighborhood. And that's not, that's not fair. That's not okay. That's those children at that other school, they're not getting the same education. And if you're not getting that same education, I mean, statistically saying, like, if you don't know how to learn by third grade, um, it is severely more challenging that you're going going to be able to succeed, that you're going to be able to finish high school. Um, And there's a bunch of... um, race-specific statistics that go along with that as well. Um, And so that's setting those kids up for failure, and that's not okay. Um, And that is why, like, the charter schools came in, to give more options for for kids. But a lot of charter schools are selective as well. And so my school, um, thankfully, is amazing. They they don't – it is not like a – the most elite students who go there, which is a lot of large charter schools are, is every student. Um, we, ha- we cap out at 450 students, um, but for the most part, we, I mean, we are still enrolling right now because we want to give those options to people. Um, and so I think that that's huge. Um, but I also think that the public school systems, it shouldn't be up to other people coming in. It should be up to the school systems to fix that issue and that's what's going on. Okay. So, um, a charter school, is that like a a part of the public school system? The school that I am at is. Okay. And by charter, is that like certain students can go there if they choose to, if their families choose to, is that how it works? Um, so it just depends. Our school, um, our district, this, um, confluence, they, they allow, and it's like, um, it's first come first serve kind of. Um, other schools will do like a lottery kind of sort okay. of thing, and then some it's for students who are like high achieving. Okay. Hmm. Um, you know, I've wondered if like the difference 
is more of a, like different cultures. Um, like I don't know, like maybe I just, because I, I don't judge someone for their skin being mm-hmm. different. So it's a little bit hard to relate or to people who might, or think that there's a lot of people who are like that. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if um, the kind of the thing is for a lot of people is that uh, they see a people of a different culture. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, um, and there could be problems with that culture and there could be problems of our cultures. Um, so it's not an excuse. Um, but I, I wonder if like, um, I don't know, but it seems like, um, I wonder if that's the concern, um, if that's really kind of the, if people have a problem with someone with black skin, maybe that's what it is. They're, it's not so much the skin. They're kind of thinking of them as being a different culture, different lifestyle, and they, it seems strange to them or something mm-hmm. like that. I'm not for sure. But. I don't think the majority of people in our country are racist. I don't, I don't think that that's the case. Mm-hmm. I think that everyone has their own biases that are internal. They're not always voluntary. They're not always intentional. Um, but it's just, it's what you know. It's what you've grown up with. It's what you've experienced. And so I think that, I think that there are people like, I mean, I can say white supremacists. They're, they're racist. I mean, um, but, and there are, there are some people that are, um, but I think that everyone's had their own experiences. And so they base their life they base their beliefs and their core on what they know and so sometimes they don't what they don't know is confusing to them and so that just goes back to evaluating yourself to go back to what do I believe why do I believe it um what do they believe I mean we talked about that earlier of just having those honest conversations of being respectful and listening um and so I think it all goes back to just that Mm -hmm. Where's your school at? North St. Louis. Is it really? Mm-hmm. Wow. So, um, so not North St. Louis County, but North St. Louis. Yep, wow. The city. Yep. Because that is a, um, tip, you know, like I'm sure different neighborhoods are different, but that's like there's some really rough areas in North St. Louis, aren't there? Yes, we. My very first week, we. Well, my first week before students came in, we had a drive-by shooting. Um, like across the street from us. Um, then the next week we had a lockdown because there was a shooting, but the students were in the building, and I don't really know the difference of why we locked on that time or why we didn't the other time. But, um, yeah, there was another shooting as well. I mean, there'll be shootings at 4 in the morning. I mean, we'll come in and um, we'll see cop cars all the time. And Wow. Yeah. Um, wow, so your, fa- your kids are... You don't know what kind of lifestyle they might have. It might be really rough at home. or um, um, And right now they're learning virtually. Um, and then does the school supply them with some kind of um, a device like an iPad or something to mm-hmm. do that? Okay. Our school um, I think is pretty amazing. Um, we, we're one-to-one, so every student has a Chromebook. Um, every student has all of their supplies. We also supply them with breakfast and lunch for the week. Um, and so we do those kind of things as well. We have a virtual learning center that allows students to come and 
Um, if they don't have a person at home who can sit with them, um, we have hotspots as well to go out to families that um, don't have internet. So that's been helpful as well. But sometimes they break, and so <laughs> that's an issue we've run into. Um, so I guess you haven't, like you've had some, your student teaching, was it in the same school where you're um, going to be at or where you're at now? Or? No, I okay. was at a private Christian school for okay. my student teaching. So this will be a different uh, situation, huh? It is very different. Yeah. And, you, and you're mainly um, teaching from home right now through your device or do you go to the school and you teach from there i go to the school oh i see okay. i like to see my kids that are there okay but uh, but they're learning virtually does that mean they're at home um when they're learning or with their device or so the students that come to our learning center they are learning from the device in a room okay. um it's actually a few doors down from mine um, okay but they're learning and they have a support staff that is there in the room with them and they I just see. help them Okay. And then transitioning to like a, a non-virtual learning would be just more contact, I guess, right? With you and, and with the students and so forth? Or? Potentially. It just depends at the moment of how many students decide that they feel comfortable coming back. Because if not enough decide, then I will be working. I'll be working virtually, but in my room. And the students that from the other first grade classroom that do not feel comfortable, I'll be teaching them as well. And so my roster will change. And all of my kids um, who are coming back in person, they'll go to the other first grade classroom. Okay. My um, daughter, Jenny, she lives um, in uh, Florissant. And her church um, is Grace Church. It's... um, Right there before you cross the river, I guess that's 270 mm-hmm. to go into Illinois. Yeah. And they have, they reach out to their community and they have a kids club on Sunday afternoons and she really enjoys it. And it seems like you just don't know what that might do in someone's life and how that might affect them and how God might bring them t- mm-hmm. to himself through that and impact their families. But, um, it's yeah, it's, amazing. It's, it's um, so I'm, I'm just kind of thinking it might be like the same types of neighborhoods and stuff mm-hmm. where your school is at and mm-hmm. stuff, and you're involved with the same kind of um, people and the challenges that those kids have are something like we might be un- unaccustomed to, you know, just not familiar with because uh, we've grown up in stable homes and um, with. Um, mom and the dad and the dad providing and mm-hmm. you know and there's stability that's like a big thing that i think a lot of kids don't have um in more impoverished um areas it's just stability mm-hmm. um so they have some unique challenges i mean even culturally that's a big thing when the public housing i think it was public housing act when they had the projects in st mm-hmm. louis mm-hmm. in those buildings um only certain people were able to live there, but typically it was a one-parent household. And so that was a big part of the division of, like, the family is for public housing like that. Um, And so it would be, like, the mom then, and the father would go. But that didn't mean that the father didn't love his family and want to be with his family. And so I think that um, changed a little bit of the family aspect 
And so there, it is a lot of my, my families are pri- primarily um, strong mothers um, with their kids. Yeah. Hmm. Well, um, have you gotten to know teachers, other teachers? I have. Okay. Um, so are there's some pretty good people out there working you're working alongside of? Mm-hmm. I have fantastic. I mean, our school is fantastic with as far as like the people who work there. Hmm. They really care. Um, they love the kids. Um, a lot are actually Christians. I've found out um, as to I've had conversations with them. But um, I have a great other first grade teacher. She's great. Um, very helpful for me. She's seasoned. She knows what she's doing. I mm-hmm. do not know what I'm doing. Um, I have another friend who is a first year teacher as well. So we've been able to go together with this. Um, and I also have some other, um, the younger grades, some of those teachers as well. Some of the upper grades I've gotten to know pretty well. Um, our special needs teacher, all of these people, they're just, I mean, they're wonderful. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, so do, um, are, are the parents, like the moms or, or sometimes moms and dads, are they wanting to be pretty involved with their kids? And um, so are there ways they can be involved? Or are you able to get to know them? And, mm-hmm. yeah. um, we've had like a few ways. It's really challenging virtually. But I will say for this year in particular, um, just because we're virtual, parent communication has never been like this. Like it is a lot of parent communication. Hmm. Um, and parents are very involved. I mean, you will never meet a parent. I mean, very, very rarely you'll meet a parent that does not care about their kids and what they're in their education. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes there's other issues going on and they're going to be focused on that and that's okay because that makes sense. Um, but for the most part, I've had great parents that are very involved. I mean, I, I mean I'm probably getting some text messages from some of them right now um, mm-hmm. about their students' work. And so it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. What do you... Does um, that school, I know you just teach first grade, but does the school go all the way up through, I guess, through middle school? And um, is that how it is? Or does it go through, is there high schools um, in the area too? For mm-hmm. Okay. We have, um, we're pre-K to, I want to say eighth, but it might be seventh. Okay. Um, but um, that is our our range um and then our district has other schools as well that um i believe there's five schools and so they have like the options to go there as well um for the high school or there's an amazing public school as well for the high schools that a lot of the students when we're in person go to for like after school care so have you been able to learn much about this culture about um you know what their lives are like and stuff like that a little bit. I still don't know a lot as much okay. as I would like to. Okay. Any particular impressions um, about just anything that just was striking to you about um, what their lives are like that you weren't expecting? I wasn't expecting. Um, I guess, I mean, I was warned, but I have I have homeless students. I wasn't expecting that. Um, like they're, um, they're homeless, like with their parent? Or mm-hmm. okay, like living or in transition is the 
proper term. Okay. Um, but they're living with another family member or they don't have a permanent address. Oh, I see. Okay. Like living in a hotel, those kind of things. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. Well, what has made an impact on you in your life? Any particular books or people or events or what's really shaped you? Oof. <laughs> um, well, the Bible. <laughs> That's been probably the biggest impact. But as far as um, specifically for books, um, Radical by David Platt, Counterculture, um, those books, and as well as podcasts, I love... Um, I can't even name all of them. I just, I do like podcasts a lot. Um, the Netflix documentary, um, Teach Us All, was a big one. That's when I decided I wanted to teach at the school I teach at. And then my parents, I mean, they are, my rocks are amazing. They are so loving and caring about everyone. And, I mean, I hope to one day be like my mom, if how, like how intentional she is and how um, much love she has. Like, can you give me an examples of what she does that, you know, that you're thinking of when it comes to how intentional and loving she is? She is a nurse, and she's just so, um, so loving with her patients. Um, she tells stories of different events of, like, what happens and um, how she's able to even share her faith in that profession. And then now um, my parents are actually starting foster care. And hmm, so wow. they, um, yeah, they're going to, they just turned in all their paperwork and so they're just waiting now. It's really neat. It's exciting. It's really encouraging just knowing there's people like your parents and there's, and you, and there's, there's just probably a, a lot of really amazing people in our country. So that's, that's really encouraging um, because on the other hand, you see, I was listening to a podcast, um, David Murray, he's from England, uh, no, Douglas Murray. He's a really sharp guy, but he was talking about looking at our country. It almost seems like um, to him, he's not religious, but like end of times type of stuff, like end of the empire type of mm -hmm. characteristics, almost um, like um, primed for civil war type of thing so that's really concerning but then on the the other hand it's, it's encouraging that in this country there's a, a you know a, a, st a strong group of people who are solid loving stable and uh, trying to do good who are understanding and so forth mm -hmm. I agree yeah um you know, you mentioned the Bible is having an impact on you. Any particular um, parts or anything that's particularly meaningful to you? Mostly Paul's letters. Okay. Um, as well as Acts. I, I do I do like Acts. Um, when I was overseas last year, I spent some time. Um, we read through the book of Acts twice. And so Acts was just um, with how like the, new, the early church is supposed to look like in that model. And then as well as Paul's letters. I mean... I was able to meet with a girl this week, and we were able to open Robins and just read it together. And it's just so exciting to see, like, how he greets them, how he loves 
loves these people that he's met, how he longs to be with them. And then he'll also, he doesn't hide the truth. He just, he says it. He says, well, I see this is happening. This is wrong. Like, this is what you should be doing. And I think that that is just such a biblical way to, I mean, it's the Bible, (laughs) but just such a godly Christian way to approach conflict, to approach um, sin and those kind of things. Okay. What was, so David Platt, something about um, radical, was mm-hmm. it, what, what's the top, what's that book about? It's about um, just the church and about how um, not necessarily just focusing on um, building up the church, but going out. And so um, it's, it's, I mean, the name speaks for itself. It's pretty radical. Um, it's just like living in a different kind of way. Um, it's why I encourage me to want to do missions, to want to um, not necessarily just live my entire life in the United States. Um, that's mm-hmm. pretty much it. So um, in reaching out, you know, not building up the church, and but reaching out, like that resonates with me because like um, a lot of times we see big projects, you know, building projects and so mm-hmm. forth for churches and almost like... Um, and I don't want to be judgmental concerning it, but it, the idea of like reaching out and it not being like real centralized, but um, just wherever Christians are, just mm-hmm. reaching out to the people close to them appeals to me. Um, any particular w- ways that he in the book advocates how to do that? Oh, that's all the top of my head. I'm not sure if I can remember, but. Um, I mean, being intentional where you are, first of all, um, being intentional with like where you live, um, your area, your community, um, then it goes back to your state. I mean, it's just like the circle keeps getting bigger, but starting with where you're around, mm-hmm. um, and then going to your community, your state, your region, your, your country, um, and then the nations. Um, hmm. I don't think everyone is supposed to be doing the same thing. Not everybody has been given the same task. Mm-hmm. And so some people are to go. Some people are to give towards international missions. Some people are to pray, um, to advocate for that, and as well as, um, as well as to mobilize other people to go overseas. But everyone where you are is called to be intentional where you are and to sp- spread the gospel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jesus said, uh, love your neighbors and the, the word neighbor, it's like a preposition. We think of neighbor as like, well, that's the person who lives next door to us. But I think um, the word has more to do with um, like near, who's near you. So you have the most responsibility for the people who you're directly connected with. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, I agree. It should kind of go outward from there. Mm-hmm. And the your nearest near people are people right inside your own house, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is um, our responsibility, too, to love them. And uh, um, Well, what do you think about the church and the way people do church um, here in America? If um, Do you have any thoughts about um, what you would like to see different, what you think is going well, or just... You know, how should Christians be being Christians together when they meet together or when they live together? Um, do you have any thoughts about what you think that should look like? 
I would not be opposed to bringing house churches back. It's just that I think um, smaller, more intentional churches. Um, that's just a personal um, preference, but I, I mean, it goes back to also Acts 2 of just the way that they all came together mm-hmm. um, and the way that they um, shared, they took care of each other. Um, they took care of, I mean, they took care of the widows and the orphans and all those people um, in their area where they were around. And so I think that um, making, even maybe just more local churches, I mean, um, I think that that's huge. I mean, there's a lot of amazing churches um, in St. Louis. And Mm. so that's just, it's hard. It gets into the, I don't ever be judgmental about um, other churches and what they're doing. But I think focusing on the outreach of sharing the gospel and what, um, and then growing with people, not just getting the gospel out there and leaving it, mm-hmm. um, but living life with people and doing life with, like in community to intentionally grow with people. I think that that would be a good change that I would like to see is that intentionality with community and doing life together versus just big events mm-hmm. that share the gospel and then leave it. Right. There's a movement that's kind of exciting going on in St. Louis area, and I think it's going on among men, that though it could among women or kids or anyone. But um, they get together in groups of four, and they go through a book called Discipleship Essentials, mm-hmm. and it takes a couple years to go through it. But then at the end, they break up, and each person you know, finds three other people. So the group of four becomes four groups of four, and then they go through it, then it multiplies like that Mm -hmm. and it's it's kind of like a growing type of thing that's pretty neat i love that concept yeah i think um i had um while i was overseas we had um one of the missionaries that was there he talked about discipleship i think he was getting his um mdiv or some kind of degree in that um while he was there um in discipleship specifically and how basically that concept of if every single year you intentionally disciple a person, like you intentionally walk alongside them, and then the next year you pick another person and they pick another person. Like it's a continuation of people growing together yeah, and being what the church is supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah, and it seems like, um, and you hear a lot of times about that being both ways, you know, having someone you're discipling or helping along who's mm-hmm. not as far as along as you, but then also having someone who's further along than you helping you along too and that's hard to do i think because we're just so busy and we're not connected to each other as much as we should be mm-hmm. but um i guess we get some of that through books and st- stuff like mm-hmm. um so i'm thankful for books because that can be really helpful but it, it's not a substitute for that real relational type of thing mm-hmm. um I will say the Lord has convicted me about that recently. And I personally think that he definitely just put some people in my life because I wasn't, I haven't been doing that the past few months. I've been very busy. And then all of a sudden this person, I was like, let's get coffee. And then they're like, okay, we should be meeting. Let's meet twice a week. Um, And I want to, it's a younger person who's Mm -hmm. like, I want, I want to go through this book with you. Like I want like in the Bible. um, And so 
that was my person that wants me to pour into them. And then I met a person a few weeks ago at this church that I've been going to a church plant recently. Um, and she lived in um, another country for years with her husband. They raised their family there. Um, they came back. And so I'm very familiar with the missions field. <laughs> and she just was like, okay, we're going to get together and I'm going to pray for you. So it was it was just kind of cool to happen. I mean, that actually happened both in the same day because she was in the place, happened just happened to be in the place I was meeting the other person. Okay. So it was a little crazy. Do you think you'll be continuing to continuing that relationship with her as far as her praying with you? And oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, good. Yeah. It's important for us all to be taking time for that. And mm-hmm. it's... Life gets so busy, it's, it has to be intentional, or it just doesn't happen, it seems like. Mm-hmm. But um, compared to all of the busy stuff we do, it's things like that that seem really significant. You know, when last I started a new uh, planner, and it at the end of the week, it leads you through um, looking back over your week and just kind of celebrating a little bit like some of the positive things that happen Mm -hmm. which is kind of neat to do Um, otherwise you just go on and you never think about it and you miss out on that encouragement but um, one thing that um, I realized when I was doing that it was those personal interactions that seemed like that was a significant part of my week more so than um, the things I was able to get done Mm -hmm. you know that's huge yeah um What's your favorite way of connecting? For example, for me, it's kind of like this. Getting together with someone for a conversation, having a cup of coffee together, something like that. For my son, it's playing soccer with other people. That's his favorite way to be relational. Mm -hmm. Um, And then some people, it might be service projects or whatever. What's your, um, for you and your personality, what's your favorite way of connecting? you know, connecting with other people and enjoying relationships with them? I definitely like the one-on-one contact or in groups. I have my core group of girls. Two of them are in St. Louis. One of them is in Arkansas. Um, But just those core, like those having that time set aside to talk to them, to sit with them, to go through the Bible with them, um, and to just continue that, that is probably the biggest thing for me. Okay. And do you guys meet together, or is it like more of a one-on-one with a few, few different people? For the two friends in St. Louis, we all get together. Okay. Um, and we try to hang out or spend time together. Um, every other week is usually it. Um, for my friend in Arkansas, it's, I mean, it's phone calls. It's using an app called Marco Polo, um, where we're sending a, a video message to each other. Um, so that's more difficult. It's more challenging to connect first, like that on that platform. Um, but that's what we've been using. Okay. Well, that's an interesting app. I haven't. I've heard of it. I've heard the name, but I didn't, didn't know anything about it. It is, yeah. Interesting is a good word for it. It's <laughs> just, it's not as um, relational. Re- relational. Yeah. What did you learn? through mission trips or how did that impact your life yeah so after I became a Christian um, that summer I had heard for the first time 
that there are thousands of people groups who have never heard the gospel. And for some reason, prior to that, I had believed that um, if people never heard, they would just go to heaven because that that just was the like that was in my head. Like I came to that conclusion on my own. Doesn't really make sense now looking back. But I was just like, why would God? Um, why would God send people to hell who've never had the opportunity? Um, and so just going back to, I mean, we serve a righteous and just God, and He is righteous and just in that, even though it doesn't make sense in my mind. But I heard that information that um, people are dying every single day. They're never hearing, they're never hearing the good news, um, and that broke my heart. And so I went on a local mission trip to that summer to Colorado, and we got to um, spend some time with different, like, um, a lot of different cultures. In um, Denver, Colorado, there is a huge, hmm. um, huge amount of different cultures and peoples um, in that area. So we got to spend some time with that. And then I decided that I wanted to go to Africa the next year. And I began to pray about it. I began to save up for it, to fundraise, to oh, babysit so many children. <laughs> Um, to go and I went and I loved it we got to be intentional with the people there um, where we would we did not um, our um, structure of our trip was every day in the morning we would have students come in who were already believers and we would just teach them about the Bible we would tell them more um, the specific people group we were with they don't have a written language and so it was it was difficult um but teaching them the bible um verbally as well as um the themes and then the different um stories and parables and those kind of things um and then they had that program they had i think we did about a week and a half of that um they actually they had a graduation ceremony and we celebrated with them but then they go back to all of their villages and they share and so that was a really cool i think a really cool structure of in mobilizing the people in that community to share to their community um, because ultimately people learn best from people um, they are more familiar with. And so we were able to do that as well as go to villages and just share stories. We went to two different villages, and and one of them, um, which had the biggest impact, was um, we went went that night, and it was my turn to share a story, and the story was the the woman at the well. And right when we got there, the young girls were going to the well to draw water. And so we got to draw water with them. Hmm. And we got to carry it, which is difficult. We carried it on our heads, spilled it all over the place. But then we're able to tell the the story of the woman at the well. And that story specifically is a story that they can relate to. And it was just, it was cool. It was um, one of the coolest experiences. Um, and then from there, I decided that I wanted to do something a little bit longer. I wanted to be able to build more relationships and spend time with the people and to really understand them and know them. And so I began praying. <laughs> and in September that year, I decided to do um, my Teams, which is through the International Mission Board. And that is a... 52-day program, just like the Nehemiah built the built the Jerusalem wall back up in 52 days. Um, it is um, that concept of going in, being intentional, living with people for 52 days, sharing the gospel with them, growing with them, building relationships, and learning from them, um, and then leaving. And so that leaving part was probably the most challenging. But I started that process in September. I originally wanted to go back to Africa. 
I wanted to go to Mali because I went to Senegal the time previously, and Mali is just right underneath. It's um, from the people that I was around is about 11 hours. I had already talked to one of my friends there, and he was willing to drive. Um, he was willing to drive to come see me if I would have been there. So that would have been so cool. And that was the plan. But I ended up getting placed on a different team because that team had filled up. And I was just like, put me on the team that nobody wants to go on. <laughs> and they put me on um, a team to Southeast Asia. And we prepared. We tried our best to learn as much. I met four strangers on the internet um, that were also assigned on that team. Got to know each other via um, Skype at the time. That was before Zoom was popular. <laughs> and then we met. We had training where we slept without electricity, um, didn't have running water. Um, just like to prepare ourselves, even though the place we were going, we stayed in a hotel. Um, but some of the places that some of the other people, like the teams, um, were going, um, they didn't have access to those things. So it was a cool opportunity to really um, just experience living in a world that didn't have electricity or running water. And they end up sending um, like 20 teams out to different places, um, different places all over the world. And so our team went. We spent about two months in Southeast Asia. Um, we saw one person come to the Lord, which was amazing. But we also got to meet so many people who were Christians, and we got to encourage them. I got to disciple um, a girl. Her name is Wei. And I still kind of communicate with her now and then. Um, but she um, she actually was the one who helped the person who came to Christ on her team. She translated or helped communicate that information to him. And she also shared as well with him after um, a guy on um, my team shared with him. And so it was really amazing. But um, I want to go back. I wish I was still there sometimes. Um, but the Lord has kept me in the United States. When I came back, the plan was to go overseas immediately upon graduation. Um, he changed that plan um, by shutting a door completely. Um, and I decided to teach here. And this is where I am right now. But how, how would you put it to someone who's outside of Christianity? They know about Christians, but they're, you know, they're more from an outsider's view. Um, what would be your message to them? Like, how would you put it in a nutshell? Um, what do they need to know? About Christianity? It is not a religion with a bunch of rules. It is an intentional relationship about a God who loves us so much that despite who we are and what we do and our sins that have separated us from God, um, He still loved us enough to send His Son to die on a cross for us and pay our sins. Um, and I don't, I don't think that there's any love greater. It says that in the, in the Bible as well. Any love greater than someone who's willing to lay down his life for his friend. And so somebody came who was an actual human being and experienced every single part of life, who suffered um, the price for our sin, even though he had never done anything wrong. So even like pulling a dog's tail. That's my favorite example of as a kid, like never pulling a dog's tail and never being unkind or disrespectful to a parent. Those things that we do all the time, never did that. And then went and paid the price for something he didn't do. That is love. And so I think just that there's a God who loves you so much that he would do that. He would send his son to do that. 
um, and he wants to have a relationship with you. Is there anything in particular for you that helps you to live in that love? Like we know it mentally, but sometimes it's not on our minds. And um, for me, um, it's like when I'm really feeling it, you know, that's what makes the difference for me because I just feel that peace and so forth. Is there anything for you that um, just makes it, keeps it real, you know, so that you're, it's not just an intellectual thing, but like you are living in it, mm-hmm. the, the love of God? I have to be in my word if I'm not in my word every day. Um, it's just that continual renewal of my mind. I have mm-hmm. to be in, I mean, if, if any relationship, you need to talk to the person. And so having those moments where I'm praying, but also being still. And that's how it's kept it real. And it's become more of a, less of a intellectual thing, but more of a in-practice kind of thing is um, by having that, um, setting aside time to talk to him and to let him talk to me. Hmm. All right. Well, thanks, Grace. I really appreciate the conversation with you. Thank you so much for having me. If you use a podcast app like iTunes, please give a review of Conversations About Life. Thank you.